This is episode number 79 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Justin Stone, who is the president of Elite Baseball Training. Justin is also the biomechanical hitting consultant for the Chicago Cubs. In this episode, he talks a lot about how he tracks and um, screens every single player that is in his program um, at Elite Baseball and why that is important. We also get into why you need to also understand uh, the biomechanical and analytical side of baseball if you ever want to work in professional baseball someday in the front office or in a coaching position or something of that matter. This episode is brought to you by Blast Motion. Blast Motion is a bat sensor, the best bat sensor that I've been using for the last couple years. Um, tracks how long you're on playing with the pitch, bat speed, attack angle, whether you're swinging down or up, time to contact. It's something that I use on each of my players um, when I first start working with them, and I track it over time, and I can show them, and it's so easy to see for them to see no matter what age if they're getting better or worse or what we're trying to work on, um, and they're always coming up with new updates. It is uh, fantastic. So head on over to BlastMotion.com and type in code PJB25 for $25 off. Here is Justin Stone. We are now live with Justin Stone, who is the president of Elite Baseball Training. Justin, really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love doing these podcasts. So give uh, the listeners a little bit of your background um, in baseball, if you could. Sure. You know, I've uh, been pretty fortunate. I've never had another job but baseball, and I'm 42 years old. So I imagine at this point I've skirted uh, having to get a real job at any point in my life, and I'm probably good to go from here. But my first coaching job, I was actually uh, 22 and the number two assistant at Indiana State University. So I got a jump start, very fortunate, probably more responsibility, and I was really ready for it that young of an age that was uh, able to kind of climb the ladder of my coaching career from there. Spent four years as a Division One coach. Uh, spent eight years working different jobs in the Chicago White Sox organization before I had my own kids and started elite baseball training just to give me a little more flexibility around uh, my business and my family. And uh, this past year, went into a official contract with the Chicago Cubs as their biomechanical hitting consultant, which I've been doing kind of on an informal level for the last couple of years. You hear the the word biomechanics thrown around all the time, um, especially on social media. Um, to you, what what does that mean? Like, what does biomechanics of hitting mean? Well, it's the it's a study of the human body, and in terms of metrics and output of things you can measure. So, how can I make the body most efficient in a movement, and how can we test? and quantify that outcome. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh, I, was, I was reading the other day um, some of the stuff you said on Twitter. You, you actually said that you would prefer to look at a graph or, a, or some data on a player before actually looking at the video itself, and you'd actually be able to probably determine what the video is even going to say or see, I guess, what you're going to see in the video. Um, do you think everyone needs to be like have some sort of testing with graphs and data um, at every facility? Well, yeah, the answer is yes, because it's going to be the most objective way to look at human performance and movement. Um, 
my, you know, I'm in a fortunate position that I did my master's work in that 20 years ago. So I've been doing this for um, 20 years and there's just no substitute for that type of experience. So what I tell our coaches in the Cubs organization, and usually it comes through the major league hitting coach or assistant major league hitting coach or the hitting coordinator. I said, don't send me the video first, just send me data because you can get completely subjective and biased when you look at video. Video will identify what your brain wants to see in it. And you see that all the time. I'm like hitting Twitter. That's why I you know, I'll put some stuff out there, but I try to refrain from the nonsense that goes on on there because you'll see three videos of the same guy and get, you know, uh, several different opinions on what the engine is or what the guy's doing right. And it's, it's all completely subjective if you're doing 2D video. Now, video was king 10 years ago because that's all we had. And with the, the amount of digital video available and some of the platforms that allowed you to do side-by-side comparisons, that was good. Um, I think it revealed a lot of the things that we were teaching incorrectly in the swing that was passed down for generations in our game because we're in a very traditional sport. However, when you still do a side-by-side comparison, you are talking about either um, reaffirming your own uh, biases of the way you teach, and it still ends up being a completely subjective process. So by looking at graphs and data, it gives me an objective look where I should be. If I'm educated enough and I've studied this enough, I should be able to tell our coaches exactly what's going on in that swing without ever having to look at the video. Wow. And so what, what type of like graphs, like, is it like a, I know like the, the K vest is out there and that has like some, you know, some graphs that show what type of stuff are you using in your facility? Well, we try to use everything that's available on the market right now. The good thing is, that I tend to get my hands on the technology first because we consult for different tech companies that are trying to integrate into baseball. Usually this comes over from the golf world, but I think people are understanding that metrics are much more of a part of the baseball game now. So uh, we use force plates to test the body's interaction with the ground. And, you know, that that's, there's only a few of these that exist in the world right now because they take about six months each to produce but it's really two plates, back foot and front foot. So I get to test the unilateral movement that makes up a bilateral move, meaning I can test each leg independently and how they interact with the ground, the timing of energy transfer, and what you know we know is a two-legged move in the swing. And then we use the KVS for kinematic sequencing, rotational velocities, um, diamond kinetics is what I use for a bat sensor, and then a hit tracks unit to get the measurements of the ball. So the first thing that was kind of readily available for everybody was the, the bat sensor, which is fine. It can kind of give you the story of what's going on with the bat through the zone, but that's not what makes up that move. Meaning that if your metrics aren't what you want them to be with a bat sensor, it doesn't tell you how to fix it. Right? So we know that you have to rewind back in time to see what really causes the action of the way the barrel comes through the zone or the bat comes through the zone. So the K-Vest allows you to do that a little bit, and the, the kinematic sequencing, it's going to tell you if your swing is long, why that is happening through sequencing and rotational velocities. But then you have to rewind back further and how the body interacts with the ground to produce that initial rotational movement first. So the farther we go back in time, the more information we're getting about the story of the swing. And I think the next step for that will be actually EKG sensors that are 
a little more uh, in real time than what we have available for us right now. And you actually see the timing of muscle firing. And then at some point it'll go to neuro and you can actually test the time of the decision of the swing at some point, but I'm, we're not there yet. I think that uh, you brought up some good points there, um, testing with testing different athletes and things like that. I think the hardest part for people is is they'll buy some of this stuff, but they, they don't know how to, I guess, transfer it over into actually helping a player. You know what I mean? So sure. like, you can tell yeah, a player, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing it that is. wrong, but how can I you know, actually fix you? I think that's, that's the toughest part for, for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, and I think baseball is taking that steps now where um, I, I mentioned to you today on the, on the move start of the podcast that I have a 10 o'clock class that I'm teaching on biomechanics of baseball. And that's initially, and we're going to offer this for the public, but it's for my staff young guys, like the, the interns that I have working for us right now are young instructors. I said, if you want a job in pro ball, you're going to have a leg up on everybody else because everybody that gets hired from here on out, is going to have to be able to speak the language of baseball, which traditionally baseball people can do, but you're also going to have to have to speak the language of kinesiology and biomechanics. And if you can do both of those things, you are very marketable. If you can only do one or the other, then you're going to limit yourself and probably be passed up for a job of a young guy that's eager, that has learned pieces of this. And you don't have to go to school for it to learn it. That helps, but it does require studying on your own. And that's why, the naysayers will push back hard against it and say, you know, it's nonsense, metrics, whatever, that we're trying to change the game or be smarter than the game or act like we're smarter than the rest of baseball coaches. And, and that's just a cop-out. That's an easy way out to say, I don't want to learn. I don't want to study. And those guys are going to be passed up for jobs, and the game's going to pass them over by instructors that are going to be able to help people better. This isn't for the player. I don't give all this data to the player. This is for me as the coach to help the player better. I'm going to give that player as little as he needs to know to be able to do what I want him to do. And that data is going to make it objective where I know for sure my limited time, let's say I'm working with an entire team, I have limited time of interaction with each guy. Am I just doing drills to fill time or am I doing something specific that that player needs because I know specifically what he needs based on the objective data? What if um, there's a lot of high schools out there and even some colleges who don't have access to some of this um, data and just because of budgets and things like that? Um, what do you think they should be doing? Um, studying the people that are doing the research and be able to implement the things that they feel are important from a, a body or drill sense. So, for instance, if we know that there's a certain percentage of body weight I need to get into my back leg and a load and how that is most efficient to do. And there's a drill that we can put up against that that says this is a good way to feel the body weight um, efficiently transferring from one leg to the other. So you don't have to have the biomechanical knowledge to the why helps, um, but you can still implement the drills that we know are proven to give players feel for success. And that's exactly what drills are, right? We're trying to create some sort of feel with an athlete. And different athletes are going to respond to different drills in different ways because their kinesthetic, kinesthetic feel is different from athlete to athlete. So I like to give them, you know, two or three options for a drill that I feel like will help them for a particular area. 
and they tell me which one they're going to build into their repertoire of drills, so to say, that, that work or feel best for them. One of the things that I've actually, actually last night I just signed up uh, um, for a TPI class. I'm going to fly out to Phoenix in uh, late November for it, but I'm doing the online part of it now. I think that is, is something that, you know, pretty much anybody can really do just to get a basic understanding of kind of how the body works and really being able to screen all the all your players. And I see you do that as well with, with um, all your all your younger guys and, and girls too. Um do you train do, – is everyone at your facility, like, are they, like, uh, trained to be able to screen each player? Yeah, we tra- trained our whole staff, and we did a, a 12-hour boot camp and then immediately had them um, assessing each other uh, and then assessing athletes to learn how to do it. And that TPI is a great place to start. I've taken that class myself. And this is what my degree is in. Um but I told the guys teaching that class, I said, in two days, that was the most efficient presentation I've ever been around of giving people what they need to know from a biomechanical or kinesiology or just functional movement sense. So kudos to you for signing up for that. You're going to love it. It's going to make you better. Um, I think where I've grown in the last few years that I wish, you know, we all look back and say, man, I wish I'd have done this or that 10 years ago. It's everything we do in baseball is trying to fix athletes with a bat or a ball in their hand. And in reality, a lot of the ways that a player throws a ball or swings a bat is based on previous athletic history, previous um, levels of strength and conditioning, previous injury, all those things come into play. So a lot of times there's an underlying physio issue that causes a player to, this is just the way they move. And you're not going to fix that by doing certain drills. A lot of times you're going to fix that in the weight room or with mobility or flexibility work. So if I have some sort of limitation with functional strength, mobility, or flexibility, the body is put into a compensating state, meaning the stronger muscles are going to make up and work harder for the weaker muscles and keep those weaker muscles dormant, and that becomes a vicious cycle that gets worse and worse. Sometimes injury can be present when that happens, but most of the time it's going to be just mechanical inefficiencies. So if we can identify what those muscle biases are, limitations in mobility or flexibility, we can address that before we send somebody to the cage. Because if we're trying to do something, for instance, uh, working with a very high-profile player that um, had been taught traditional mechanics, ride out the back leg in a slow tempo, start the swing from the backside to put the front foot down, rotate against the firm front leg. His body was completely rejecting those type of mechanics. And this is what he'd been taught. Everybody had been trying to work with him at this for several years. And his body was rejecting it. And that my question was, what are his unilateral strength numbers from leg to leg? And once we found that out, there was a huge bias from front leg to back leg. So his body was trying to move and stabilize into a much stronger asset for stability, his front leg. So rather than rejecting, um, his, his back leg during like the ride out of the, the stride process, I said, let's embrace what his body is wanting to do. Let's embrace him getting into his front leg. This is his stronger leg. This is his more stable one. And really we made up for it a very short amount of time, something that felt good for the athlete, something that produced better results um, and made up for a couple years of instruction that was just going from the traditional sense without ever assessing the assets this athlete brought to the table. At a young age, those things are correctable. 
at an older age, you're kind of get, working with what you're given. You can, you can fix things to a certain extent. Improve them is probably a better word than fix. But at some point, you're going to be, okay, this is what the athlete brings to the table. I'm going to work with this. And that's what that assessment program is going to allow you to do is to what the athlete brings to the table, but also address specific functional strength, mobility, and flexibility needs, especially of your younger athlete. You were talking about uh, ground force um, a little bit earlier when you, and one of the things you test, and I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say. I, I we, We're in an era where, like, everyone, I feel like, is trying to bring their back foot off the ground. Like, they're purposely trying to do that. And my thing is, like, you want to soak up as much energy as you possibly can from the ground. Um, is, am I on the right track there, or what do you think about that? Yeah, I want to keep my interaction with the ground – um, as long as possible and transfer it as quickly as possible from leg to leg. And those type of players have very fast energy transfer up the chain. So what the ground force and then what I call X axis timing, that is a huge metric to me, which is how quickly does that energy that I'm compressing into the ground in a traditional back leg load transfer into the front leg and convert that to angular velocity, which is just simply hip speed or hip turn. The faster the energy transfer without delay ends up showing up, in most cases, a higher angular velocity. But it starts with how well can I ride out that backside? How well can I keep my interaction with the ground? And what I, a cue that I use here is you'll find what you're talking about when guys release from the ground early. The back shoe slips or comes off the ground too soon. That means the athlete is pushing away from the ground. They are moving forward by pushing away from the ground with their back foot. What we want to do is be able to gain ground slow and under control while still pushing into the ground. And that's a huge difference. I want to gain ground under control while still pushing into the ground versus away from it. And when they push away from it, they get into their front leg too soon. You're going to see more slippage of the back foot. But and sometimes this is misleading, too, because I've had uh, coaches send me videos of guys where the back shoe did come well off the ground. I don't like this lower body movement. Is this correct or is it incorrect? And I go back to the data, and sometimes the back shoe will skip off the ground because the front leg posting number is so high, so explosive, and so fast. If somebody gets into a good heel plant and the front leg becomes extended, the hip extension is very fast and violent. You'll see that back shoe kick off of the ground, almost like the, the comparison I make here is I'm in the front seat of a car and I hit a tree and I didn't have my seatbelt on, my head's going through the windshield. So it's that kick up off the ground because the front leg was so violent in its extension and its seal plant. Okay, okay. So it can be misleading sometimes why the back shoe is coming off the ground. Okay, gotcha. Um, one, of the, one of the other things that I've been hearing uh, a little bit lately, I was actually um, – went up and saw Bobby Tewksbury up in Dayton and he kind of talked about how external feedback is so big for younger kids. Um, and then I'm talking about the, the hit tracks machine and things like that. Um, what do you, how do you like use your hit tracks? I know the kids all think it's, you know, great to see their ball fight and everything on a field, but I mean, what, what kind of, um, what are you taking away from it? What are you trying to teach them about it? Um, just kind of take me through like what you guys are doing with the hit tracks. Yeah, with younger kids, it's a, it's a way to test and encourage. Um, swing with intent is what you hear a lot. With my oldest athletes, um, 
it could be a life-changing piece of equipment, to be honest with you. I can think of two players, for instance, that, um, that, that I've trained with, that one that was in double A for an extended period of time and had a lot of success, high batting average, controlled the strike zone well, so his on-base percentage was really high, but, um, and his exit velocity was good too. But his launch angle numbers that are now collected throughout every organization were extremely low. And I think he'd hit, I want to say, two home runs in four years of pro ball. Wow. Well, with the exit velocity numbers being high and the launch angle numbers being low, what I use the hit tracks for is we need to pattern in a training setting or in a controlled setting, like you're doing toss, tee, you know, something that you're not fooling a guy with velocity. And you can pattern the launch angle of the hit to the exit velocity of the athlete. So if I have a guy that's hitting a ball on average 100 miles an hour with wood and he's hitting the ball 10 or 11 degrees, this is counterproductive. This is not going to allow you to, to climb the ladder because the best you're going to do is hit singles here. So we can get that launch angle up in a training setting to the mid-20s. Now all of a sudden we're maximizing his chances for slugging percentage, and that's what this game is about right now, slug. We can maximize his chances for slugging percentage by patterning the exit velocity to his – or excuse me, hit the launch angle to his exit velocity. And he hit 18 home runs or something like that his next year and ended up in the major league. We've had that. I can think of two instances where that almost exact same story happened. And again, you go back to the naysayers to say, you know, if you're chasing exit velocity or chasing launch angle, then you're barking up the wrong tree because it's not the pattern. It has nothing to do with the pattern of the swing. And I would disagree. It's just one more piece of technology that allows us to integrate with our athletes to, you know, objective data once again that has an opportunity to make a, a difference in somebody's life. And in this case, you know, being stuck in double A versus being in the big leagues is a life-changing moment. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely, uh, definitely agree with that. Why do you think the instruction? Because I mean, this guy was in professional baseball. He was in. He made it up to double A, so he, he, you know, probably been in pro ball for a few years. Why do you think the instruction overall in professional baseball isn't very good? Well, <laughs> being that I work in professional baseball, well, you know, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to dance around that one a little bit. Okay. Um, I'll speak for my own organization. Let's start there. And I, I know what I'll say about the Cubs, which I, I think is just outstanding. The, and this, this is a good way to answer your question because I know where you're going with that. That's different than I think of a lot of organizations is our game, unlike a lot of other sports, is so based on what you did as a player. And with the Cubs, what Theo Epstein wants to do is hire the very best people in the world at what they do, regardless of their background. If you can coach, if you can teach, if you bring something to the table and you're really good at it, they want you here. Not, you know, I hit 330 in 12 years of pro ball. That, you know, today's game, these young kids, they don't care about that. It's about how can you help me? What do you bring that can help me? Can you, do you have people skills that can build a rapport with the player that they trust you and yet you still bring something to the table where you can teach them something. I feel like that's a more important asset, but our game is changing, and you're seeing more of those type of guys being hired in big league clubs than traditionally what has happened where, you know, some guy gets out of the minor leagues, he starts minor league coaching because he spent 10 years in the organization and he's a good guy. Not to say those guys can't coach and do really, really well, but generally a lot of the coaching has been from guys that played for a long time um, this is how I did it because that's what they're familiar with. 
what we have to do as good coaches, and my advice to young coaches out there is learn personalities, have good people skills, and be able to teach the swing in a thousand different styles. I have to be able to teach to a no-stride guy, a knee-lift guy, and I have to know why that player is doing what he's doing, and does that style fit the athlete based on the assessments of the assets he's bringing to the table. So it, it goes pretty deep like that, and I, I think the, that is the reason you're seeing certain organizations start to come to the forefront where they're hiring people that are just really smart and really good at their jobs. So if I wanted to be you know, the top hitting guy or um, just in general for an organization – what do I need to, so I need to obviously study tons and tons of video, um, you know, be, get involved in the biomechanics, maybe become TPI certified, or, I mean, I know eventually you're coming out with your class, but what, is there any other tools that you would recommend for coaches out there to use or to buy, or just, just to overall become better as a better hitting coach? Yeah, I think number one, pick up a, a basic kinesiology textbook because being able to learn, the anatomical movements of the body. I, I told this like day one of my class is phys- physiology, muscles and bones, nervous system, uh, and anatomical movement. Because if you go into a room and here, here's what's going to happen at the pro level next, you go into a room and you start talking about anatomical movements in the wrong way. Um, the big one that's always thrown out like in a draft room or something like that is muscle memory, which is complete BS. There's, there's no such thing. There's kinesthetic feel and proprioception. There's no such thing as muscle memory. The brain sends relays to the muscles that, and the muscles send information back through proprioception. So as soon as somebody says something like that, man, I'm turning you off because you clearly don't have any idea what you're talking about and you're just trying to use a fancy word to explain something you don't really understand. So learning uh, what external versus internal rotation means, what abduction versus adduction means, just very basic terminology you can learn in a weekend would be step number one. Step two, get your hands on some very basic pieces of technology and learn how to read and use them. If you can't afford them or can't do it, you can still, there's enough information out there on how to read graphs, what they mean. Um, You don't have to have it, but you need to have that in your arsenal to start to understand how the body makes up a motor pattern. So each of those pieces build into the next piece, which is, skill acquisition. How does this reflect to me teaching a skill and how can you thoroughly do that if you don't understand the body? You know what I mean there? So we have to go back in time to what makes up the motor movements, what makes up the motor patterns. And if you don't understand the body, you're never going to be an efficient teacher in doing so, in my opinion. That, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. That makes, that makes complete, complete sense. And uh, I'm actually looking up some, uh, some books right now that you're record or uh, that you maybe recommended um, just the introduction to kinesiology. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like one one type stuff that you would take as a freshman in college, you know? So the, the interns that I have, um, I had one from Purdue this past year, this summer, and it just kind of, this kid was just awesome. He just pumped out work, kinesiology major. And I said, when you go back and I, I checked his class schedule, I said, you need to take some statistics classes because you are armed with the knowledge to work in pro ball right out of graduating undergrad right now because he's doing all this data collection and breakdown. But, um, there's only a few teams in Major League Baseball that are doing this type of data collection so far. So I said, you have a skill that nobody else has. The next piece for you is understand analytics. Go back and take some stats courses. 
while you're armed with a pretty good resume coming right out of undergrad, he's going to be able to work in pro ball. What if you do? You, would you still recommend him taking those uh, stats classes if you want to do something like what you're doing? Not, I mean, you're in pro ball, but you have your own facility. Yeah, I, I definitely would because so much of what I'm doing is it's like data science, right? So I once you collate data, I, I'm sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet all day and I'm trying to match it up. What, is, what data points are relative to other data points, and you're you know, that you, you almost need a data scientist background to be able to do that really, really well. So I'm doing it at a very novice level. And I wish looking back, you know, I didn't know 20 years ago that this is what I'd be doing the rest of my life. But, um, I definitely wish I would have had a stats background. And that's why I encouraged these guys that are working for me at the data collection level to do so. So you do everything through Excel? Um, yes, our data collation, we do all through Excel. Gotcha. So if you're if you're a kid and you're going into your facility for the first time, um, take me through like the process of like what what you guys would do. Like what what would uh, like the program? So step one is an assessment. It's a combination of TPI and SMS as well as SFMA. So if I was a listener to your um, podcast today, I would look up all those. I'll say them again. TPI, SMS is functional movement screening by Gray Cook, one of the leaders in that field. And SFMA is kind of a combination of the both. So uh, we put together a battery of 20 tests that we can do in about 15 minutes that assesses the mobility, flexibility, and functional strength needs of that athlete or, or what they have right now. Step two is we put them on the force plate and do some explosive jumps. So we do a couple different types of jumps that give me different information. One, it tests the unilateral strength from leg to leg which oftentimes you're going to have a bias and, you know, with older athletes that are competing on an everyday basis, you start to get to a bias of about 20% from leg to leg. Those are high instances of hamstring pulls. So maybe something just to keep them healthy and on the field that I need to address there. Um, the types of jump tests that we do also tell us the explosiveness of the athlete, but more importantly, how their rate of force production. So that rate of force production number is an important one to me because it kind of tells me how quickly they can get energy from the ground to transfer up the chain of the body. So a person that has a very high rate of force production, those are fast, twitchy guys. And if they don't have hypermobility, typically they're going to have shorter load, loading mechanisms. I say typically because if a guy is hypermobile too, he has to have a longer loading mechanism just to take the slack out of the body. If a guy has a lower rate of force production, they take longer to get up to full speed. They need a longer loading mechanism to be able to time to do that. So that's a big way to make sure the appropriate loading style is being used by the athlete. So those are the very first things that we do. Then we'll get them on the, the force plate, do a, a K-vest, and all the, the technology pieces that we do of an actual swing test, collate the data. I write a report on it, and then we're going in armed with all the strength and conditioning needs and the swing needs of the athlete before we ever try to instruct them. And this is for all ages, or what, what ages are we talking about? Yeah, we just, we just did that for our entire travel team program, so we're collating 150 kids' data right now, and then um, on a daily, daily basis, I write about five reports, so you can see the amount of time that that's going to take. Um, to get that completed, you know, it's a, it's a month and a half project. However, it's pretty cool to think that we have 10 year olds, boys and girls 
and high school athletes that are getting the type of training ahead of what most major league organizations are doing right now. Well, yeah, kudos, kudos to you guys. I mean, for going above and beyond and, and, you know, you don't necessarily even, you know, you have, you don't have to. And that's the thing that's, that's pretty cool about it is, you know, you're doing it, you know, it's the right thing to do, but you could definitely get around it by not doing it. Nobody would say anything. So from a baseball, but on the other hand, it's mutually beneficial because the only way that you understand data that nobody has ever used before is you've got, you've got to look at a lot of data. So this is continuing education for me. And that's what it is. Like I am constantly learning. And I remember the first day I was using certain technologies with uh, the Cubs at spring training and a piece of this had never been used in professional baseball before. And I had like two days to kind of get to know the technology, but I had no idea what we we're going to find. Um, and I sat down in a room and kind of locked myself in it. I'm like, okay, I have a blank canvas right here and I've got to paint a picture. I've got to figure out what all of this means. And luckily I, I started to figure it out pretty quickly, but the only way that I'm going to grow in becoming better at reading this stuff, especially the new stuff, is okay eight months down the road now i've done hundreds of these and i'm gonna be way better at it than when i did 10 of them right so that's my advice and why i said get out there learn the technology even if you can't get your hands on it and use it yourself learn what the data points mean and at some point it's going to be readily available and the price comes down for everything as technology increases right so at some point you're going to have to understand this if you want to coach at a high level and you want to help players Right, right. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. In the future, would you ever want to be a big league hitting coach? No, I've had no interest of of working in professional baseball. Uh, more interested, and in, in, that's why I started the business that I that I have of being with my family and sleeping at home at night. Is I get to work in pro ball now, and I do most of it for my office. It's kind of you know I live on the north side of Chicago. My facility's right down the street from Wrigley Field. And sometimes I joke with neighbors and they say, you know, how come you're not in the stadium? And I was like, I do most of my work from my home office in my basement. And I'll be going over the swing of Chris Bryant or something like that from my home base basement and think like, okay, you're making a difference without having to having to leave the couch, you know? So it's kind of funny that people, um, mis misconceptions of, of how some of this work gets done with players. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it for my house a lot of times. So I get I, I get a really good job where I get to work in pro ball, and very rarely do I have to leave my house to do it. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll test all the players at spring training, fall instructional league, which is getting ready to uh, take off to Arizona here shortly. Awesome, Justin. I really appreciate you coming on today. You got you got to actually teach a class here uh, coming up. Um, again, follow, make sure to follow Justin Stone on Twitter. Um, at Elite underscore Baseball, president of Elite Baseball Training and the creator of EliteBaseball.tv. You got some really good stuff on YouTube, by the way. I had some, some great uh, great content. Um, again, really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I love doing these. And it's, you know, I, I, I look back at my own coaching career and the way the internet and Twitter is today, like there's so many good guys out there that are just readily available. And I listen to it too. I've listened to your podcast before. That's why I knew who you were when you, you pinged me, but man, I wish I'd had this resource 20 years ago when we didn't have it, where if you were going to seek out somebody that was really good. You had to call them on the phone. If you had their number or go see them at a 45 minute presentation, which is never the same as being able to really dig in and have a conversation with a guy. So thanks. And I hope, hope your listeners got something out of it. Oh, I'm sure they did. Thanks again.